Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kelly, your host, and we continue with uh, kind of a fun Friday. We try to uh, take some time to do things a little bit different on Friday, and we'll do things uh, quite a bit different this hour. And I I hope that you'll join in the conversation if you are a fan of literature, particularly of science fiction literature or maybe uh, science fiction movies or television shows. Uh, We're going to talk with uh, Mark Brumley, the president of Ignatius Press, about science fiction and and Catholic uh, apologetics, Catholic teaching. uh, And and are are these things enemies? Are they friends? Or as Darren said to me today, maybe they're frenemies. Uh, So we'll we'll ask Mark Brumley about that. Mark Brumley, of course, as you know, as everybody knows, is the uh, president of the most important, significant, and uh, beloved uh, publishing house in the Alpha Quadrant. Mark Brumley, thanks for coming back with us for another day this week. Yeah, I just saw you yesterday. I know, it's good and to have you, you know back. what? Apropos our topic, you often, not always, but often introduce me the way you just did. Yeah. And you refer to Ignatius Press as the most important or the biggest or, yeah. you know, something I added beloved today publishing company in the Alpha Quadrant. So what in the world is this? I mean, do you ever get questions from people? What's he talking about? No, because I say so many things. I think that people are like, just, it's just more weirdness from that weird guy (laughs) that I don't think that, I don't think, I think people are like, whatever. I don't know what he's talking about, but, but then there are a lot of Star Trek fans who know what the Alpha Quadrant is. It's, I don't know. Quadrant seems to me the wrong word for a circle, but I, you know, like the galaxy is a circle. And actually, now we know our galaxy is actually in the process at this very moment of colliding with a much smaller galaxy. So I don't know if the whole quadrant system even works. But the, Wow, should I, should I be worried about yes. that collision? Well, how many billion years are you <laughs> planning on living? Because it, that, it, it will be catastrophic, but it's a kind of a slow, <laughs> slow moving train from from you know twenty thousand light years away. Uh, Very slow. Yeah. More so, light years away. but if you're the kind of person that likes to worry, please do worry about that. Yes. But uh, okay. So, but the, but basically, in the Star Trek, uh, Uver, is that the proper use of the word Uver? Uber. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it is. I'm not. I'm trying to be all literary because you're here. <laughs> they divided up the galaxy into four quadrants, and the one that the Earth is in is called the Alpha Quadrant. Ah, there you go. Okay, so now people understand a little bit of context for that. Yeah. And every once in a while, you know, we do sci-fi jokes, the two yes. of us. We both like sci-fi. So we do. We both like sci-fi. And yeah. so I want to ask you, uh, as a... Catholic and as a writer and as an apologist and an evangelist and all those things, what is it about science fiction that attracts you? Because because there are a lot of people who, you know, whatever their personal proclivities might be, there are people, and I've talked to them and I've met them, who, who, who would react negatively from the vantage point of their Catholic faith, not just their personal likes or dislikes, but from the vantage point of their Catholic faith, they they think science fiction is either a you know bad thing or they, they dismiss it as childish because we know there aren't any extraterrestrials. Yeah. We know time travel is not going to happen. Uh, heaven's <laughs> real, and that's where everything's going. Right, right. That's funny because well, every- I actually agree with all those people who don't believe in extraterrestrials or time travel. I don't believe in either of those things either, which I I think is unusual now in our day and age. People tend to think that, 
like there's this very common thing where people say, well, the universe is so big. If you just understood how big it is, you would never think that we're the only intelligent species. To which I, my immediate response is, it's not big to God. Like he, it's, there's nothing <laughs> big to him. So uh, uh, that has, that's irrelevant. It, oh, the only thing that matters is what did God want to do? What did he want to create? And I have no evidence to me is that he created a, another intelligent species besides the two that we find here on earth, humans and <laughs> dolphins. Okay. All right. I'm kidding about <laughs> dolphins, but, uh, Humans and oh, you're, fairies. You're not, you're not kidding about humans, though. You still want to qualify humans as intelligent. I do. I do. I do believe humans <laughs> okay. are intelligent. But right. I'm going to tell you something that I think happened to many people in my generation. I can remember. Let me just share two events that I remember from my childhood. Okay. One, sitting on the floor of my grandmother's house in Westboro, Massachusetts, watching the astronauts do their thing in space to get ready to go to the moon. And then they would break in with the news. Walter Cronkite would break in with the news like, okay, well, we, uh, you know, four hours ago they blasted off and now they're doing this. And so you were watching in real time the most, uh, what felt like as a five-year-old, just the most transformative thing. We're going to space. We're going to the moon. So I, that had a big impact on me. I also remember, I don't know if you, if you recall this, but this for some reason made a huge impression on me. I remember when TV networks started using the Telesat uh, satellite, and they'd go, right. we're reporting to you live from France. And everyone was like, live from France? That's not even possible. Like, how could that be live on our TV here on Cape Cod? And it was because and we're using this uh, new technology, Telestat, right? Well, these things that happened in the late 60s and early 70s were formative for me. So I think right. I'm attracted to science fiction in part because you just lived in this moment where, you know, for your birthday, you got a book about with full of pictures of the moon landing. And it was cool, right. really cool. But, but I mean, does it seem like, um, I mean, again, there are people approach this different ways. There are those who are sort of techies and they, they like the technology part of it and they don't, and, and they like the, yeah. the fact that we can understand it and, and all that. And there are those who like the technology part but for them, it might just as well be magic. In fact, C.S. Yeah. Lewis talks about this. You know, he, he, of course, wrote some science fiction himself. And he said, you know, he's not really the, what he called the engineering science fiction kind of personality that's interested in the engineering of it or the technological part of it. Right. He's more of the fantasy kind of guy. And in fact, in his first science fiction book, Out of the Silent Planet, he's got his character going to Mars. Uh, and he has him on a go on a spaceship, and he try you know Lewis tries to explain somewhat the technological facets of it, and later on he says I got it all wrong. Yeah. And so when he writes his second science fiction novel in the trilogy, the so-called space trilogy, he just has an angel come, and uh, the main character that's going to go on the adventure gets in a box, something that looks like a coffin. It's sealed, and he's off to Venus. You know. Yeah. Right. So there's that discrepancy between the, the the technological and then use of technology, but it might just as well be magic. So you're you're kind of like it might just as well be magic. 
Yeah. Is that right? Well, yeah, but I also think, Mark, that there's something about, and I'm grateful that folks are on the line. We are going to go to callers. Don't worry, we are. Uh, and if you want to talk about uh, science fiction and Catholic faith, 888-318-7884. I do think there's something about um, the modern means of mass communication and the certain moment where everything really started to explode after the Second World War in change. You get There's an idea that we all carry in us that something is happening you know, some something of global significance, something that's of great import to the human race is happening, and we're all caught up in it, and we don't know what it means or where it's going. And this is where I think the Catholic faith is interested in science fiction, because the question is, what does all this mean, and where are we going with all of this, uh, this transformative moment that we're involved in? And I think most science fiction writers, when it comes down to those two basic questions— get it wrong, because they get really caught up in the magic of the technology, and they don't think about, well, human nature is fundamentally not going to change. (laughs) They're not going to become nicer because we have better technology. Well, of course, there are some science fiction writers who think otherwise. Yeah, right. I mean, they envision radical changes in humanity, not just going from bad to nice, but other radical changes. Yeah. On the... um, on humanity's going to get nicer theme. I mean, we could. This is a good. I know we got callers, so I just want to make this one point. Uh, humanity's going to get nicer theme. This is entree into talking about probably one of the, well, one of the most successful science fiction franchises in, you know, modern history. Science fiction's only been around in the modern period, really. But at any rate, yeah. And that's Star Trek. You know, Star Trek, the TV series from 1960s. And what ten movies and umpteen different uh, incarnations and TV shows after the original series and all that. Uh, the vision, founding vision of Gene Roddenberry, who created Star Trek, this wasn't wholly expressed in the original series, and Roddenberry tried to express it in Star Trek: The Next Generation, which came out in the mid to late '80s, but he he, he got pushback. The idea there was that we're going to, in the 23rd and ultimately the 24th century, we're going to have practically perfect people, right? Yeah. Uh, and one of the principles that he was, he tried to get writers to observe, and ultimately they didn't do it, is to never have conflict, interpersonal conflict between the crew members yeah. on the Starship Enterprise. Because in the 24th century, everybody is so much more advanced, that doesn't happen. Well, not only was it um, bad drama, yeah. it's boring. Writers say, hey, it's boring. I, my characters have to have conflict. That's part of drama, right? So not only was it boring, but it's, it's just bad um, anthropology because right. people aren't, you know, we obviously you can have moral development, moral progress, but people aren't going to become perfect or even practically perfect in three or 400 years. Exactly right. And there's another thing about the technology side of it is that when you read about, oh, the world is going to be like this, it's very interesting and and enticing and exciting. And you think how exciting the world will be when people can, I don't know, live on the moon. But what actually happens with technology is people get more and more bored. They don't get more excited about life. It seems as technology advances, the opposite of what science fiction portrays actually happens, which is life gets duller not more exciting <laughs> for people. Well, I, 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 well, 
in some respects, that's true. But look at look at the excitement we're having right now. You and I yeah. are talking to well, each other right. on camera with the internet, lots yeah. of friends uh, on the radio, you know, on a form of TV, and we're doing this in ways that would have been fantastical to to the two of us yeah. when we were twelve years old. You know? Yeah, that's true. I, I, I that, that's true. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, uh, although can, when we can when become I, bored with it, that's true. Yeah, because we 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 well we'll talk a little bit about about a kind of enslavement to technology is one of the themes of of which is clearly happening. I mean, there's lots of enslavement to technology now, but uh, we got to take a break and then we'll uh, come back for you. I think Thomas chased all the callers away. I don't know what Thomas is doing in there, but people wanted to talk about science fiction, and Thomas said. I don't know what he said, but they're not there. He probably didn't know the topic, right? He's so, like, what are you guys calling about science fiction? Yeah, right. This, this is, is a Catholic show. show. Uh, 888-3187-884, the number. You want to talk about a particular uh, iteration of uh, some science fiction with Mark uh, Brumley? You're, uh, you're welcome to call. You want to talk about it more in more general terms, you're also welcome to call. And if you don't, we're just going to keep talking about it. 888-3187-884. Miss a show? Make sure to catch up by downloading the podcast, available online at catholic.com. The Aquinas Writing Advantage program is part of Homeschool Connections' set of online courses for your Catholic homeschool. Homeschool Connections' website is homeschoolconnections.com. Underwriting for Catholic Answers Live is provided by Real Estate for Life. Real Estate for Life connects homebuyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations. On the web at realestateforlife.org. Hello, Father Mitch. Yes, sir. What can we do for you? How do we know that Jesus was in his early 30s during his ministry? In Luke, he says, and Jesus was about 30 years old. So it's right there. Okay, thank you. That was easier than I thought. (laughs) EWTN, helping people grow in their love and understanding of God. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Scott Kelly, your host, also a science fiction fan. Um, I like it on TV. I like it in the movies. I like it in books. And uh, at night, I like to listen to, uh, they have on YouTube, all the old radio science fiction uh, shows. And it's crazy to think, but people will be like, they're like, I love the 1940s and 50s science fiction radio programs because they're like, it's 1995 and we're approaching <laughs> some star that's, you know, a billion miles away. And I'm like, oh, missed that by a few decades, I think. Uh, by, by the way, you're welcome to call and participate in this conversation about the Catholic faith and science fiction, 888-318-7884. Mark, uh, but I, I, I can't remember where I left it, so I'm going to just turn to you and pick up well, where Well, I got a couple things to say, but I, I got, we got to huh. talk about your science fiction book. So you tell, tell people about your science fiction book. Oh, now come on now, Mark. All right, I'll tell. I I, I wrote a, a science fiction book uh, and was going to follow it up with some more, and then had a little uh, some uh, I don't know family stuff that came up, and I never got it back to it. But I'll get back to it sometime. But so I wrote this book called Ad Limina, because there's a thing in the Catholic religion. It's actually called an Ad Limina visit. Like we we have that, and that's when a bishop every five years 
has to uh, who if he's the if he's what's called an ordinary that is he's the bishop of a diocese he has to travel to rome and visit uh the limina that is the um the doorways of the tombs of saint peter and paul but then while he's there he also meets with the pope and all the other people of the you know the all the other uh big honchos at the Vatican. Uh, and these, so I thought, well, what, what are we going to do when we, we live out in outer space? And the bishop has to make the ad limina visit. So that's what my book is about, ad limina. Uh, the bishop, the first native-born bishop of Mars has to come back to Earth and see Earth for the first time and go to Rome and just try to imagine what that would be like for him. And 11 people really enjoyed that book. They, those, <laughs> people. Yeah, so sure I, I I knew that that the market was there for a book about a Catholic bishop in space, and I found my market. All eleven of them. Well, judging from a lot of the stuff I see on the internet, there probably are a lot of Catholics who'd like to see more bishops in space. <laughs> yes, but they want them to go the other direction, not come <laughs> this direction. They want them to go the other direction. Uh, but <laughs> four bishops. Yeah. Four right. Bishops. But I, well, at some it. point, isn't the Vatican going to have to establish an apostolate to spacefarers? Because people are going to need priests out there. At the very least, they're going to need priests out there. Lots of stories about that, of course, in science fiction, about yeah. ministers and priests being sent in space. And it does raise an interesting question. So, um, you know, we uh, you talked about the experience of, of watching the astronauts go to the moon. And that, obviously, I... I grew up watching that and was moved by it, inspired by it, uh, as much as anyone else. Um, but you know, for those who are people who are more scientifically inclined, they're going to realize what I'm saying. What I'm saying will be obvious. But for those who are less scientifically inclined, um, it's helpful to understand that going to the moon is you, you could compare going to the moon and the whole vastness of space. Like, you know, me saying, I'm going to go on a hike, and this is a long journey. I'm going to go from my office into my living room, because space is, I mean, even our galaxy alone, it's 100,000 light years across. That's the time it takes light to travel, you know, from one end to the other, 100,000 years, and light goes at 186,000 miles a second. So that tells you how big just our galaxy is, which is one of billions of galaxies. So going to the moon, you know, the moon is, you know, a quarter of a million miles away, 200,000 miles, 250,000 miles from the Earth. So it's not really far compared to that. So what happens if, you know, in the distant future, we travel not just to the moon or not just to Mars or not just within our own solar system, but to other star systems and so on. And we develop long distance spacefaring to other worlds. You know, what's going to happen if we have missionary activity? And even if we don't, even if there aren't aliens and we're out trying to convert aliens or something like that, they're just people, people needing, uh, to hear the, the gospel and to receive the sacraments and to participate in the life of faith on distant worlds. How would the church manage that relationship? I mean, we have challenges managing the unity of the church now simply on this world. Imagine 
if we were on 500 or a thousand yes. planets and those planets were, you know, uh, not just 4.3 light years away, which is how far it is from our sun to the nearest star, uh, Alpha Centauri, but, you know, 50 light years or 100 light years and things of that sort, assuming we have some kind of space travel that makes that in Manageable. some way practical right. to do that. Just imagine what is what is it going to mean for the faith and the ability to live the faith? It's, I ask you. It's it's very hard to imagine, but it I think it's 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 um you know like if you think of just a few hundred years ago, people would be quite surprised at how the world was changed by technology in the interim, and. And so I don't think it's at all ridiculous to think, well, I don't know, is, is that going to be 100 years, 1,000 years? Well, humanity's still going to be here 100 or 1,000 years un unless the Lord comes back. Um, uh, so it's worth thinking about because it's not preposterous at all. And we there's a lot of—because uh, the most important thing is the Church, and I, don't, I, th I think we can easily lose track of that, that the Church is the most important thing, because this is uh, God calling humanity back into a, a familial relationship with Him, so that He can be our Father and we can be His children. And and th that the importance of that is never going to go away. So that is a fundamental question about what happens to that when we travel among the stars, if we do. Very good. And maybe we won't. Maybe we'll find out, oh, there's a fence around our solar system. We didn't even know. It's an electric fence, and you can't get through it. That's right. And, we and, try and, and stop. We can't. We got no tools that'll cut through that electric fence. Uh, so, you know, I mean, there's a lot we don't know yet, but it's not at all ridiculous to think that we're a multi-star civilization at some point. And then how, then how, in what sense are you even a civilization anymore? That's right. Unless there's some way in which... A reasonable, a reasonable period of time uh, can be involved with communication. You know, if you've got to wait 50 years until you get a response or something like that, it's very hard to envision any kind of interstellar, intergalactic civilizations. You know, it just, it's just takes too long. Right. And and so, but that doesn't necessarily mean that with the given a certain amount of technology, people might not go out there and explore, and, and, and we'll raise serious questions about the unity of the human race and the unity of the Church's mission and all kinds of things of that, if it happens. We're speculating. You know, yeah, this is right. just— uh, I think the answer probably— the Lord will come. Right. It, it could indeed. And, and, but I think the answer probably involves wormholes. I'm pretty sure it's, it's going <laughs> to I don't know okay. what the answer is, but I'm pretty sure it involves wormholes. Let's go to Wisconsin. <laughs> Alex in Wisconsin, listening on 88.3 FM. We're very happy to have you, Alex. Go ahead with your—well, uh, with whatever, your comment, question, whatever you brought to the table this afternoon. Oh, I forgot. Hi. Uh, yeah, this is Alex. Hi, hey. Alex. Go um, ahead. So uh, my, my question is this. Uh, I've always been taught that— um, that the kingdom of God is kind of actively unfolding through the church through time, yeah. and I've often envisioned technology as just being part of that, you know. And um, of course, not all technology, because there's some very evil technology out there, but some technology. And uh, I like what you mentioned earlier as uh, about us being slaves to technology in many ways. And I was wondering if, on the other side of it, um, is, can technology be part of the? kind of unfurling of the kingdom of God. 
Mark? Mm. Well, you know, I think you're onto something there in the following sense. Obviously, technology involves human beings creating things, using the imagination that God has given us uh, and applying it to the world around us in order to create devices that enable us to do things, extensions of our natural powers, enable us to do things that we, to a degree, that we couldn't do on our own. We're doing, we're doing that right now, you know. I could, you know, I'm talking to uh, Alex and I'm talking uh, to Sai and all the other people who are listening to this program right now. We're communicating in a way that is not humanly possible. No. So technology allows us to extend our powers and to do, to do things uh, that we couldn't do without that technology. And of course, part of the Apostle of Catholic Answers is to share the Catholic faith with people. And that's part of what it means to be belong to the kingdom of God that exists in seed form. In the beginning of the kingdom, the fullness of the kingdom, we're not going to accomplish. Jesus is going to bring to fruition. But we are seeds of the kingdom. The church is the, is the beginning of the kingdom of God on earth. And so when we use technology to evangelize or answer people's questions or uh, do other things. Uh, we do. We use technology to not just to an- evangelize in the ministry of the word, but we use technology even in the administration of the sacraments. In that, we build churches and we are able to have people come and participate uh, in 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 holy mass. And technology allows us technology of building and the technology of lighting and the technology of heating and air conditioning and all of this to provide places for worship and places to receive the sacraments more effectively. All of this is a way in which technology serves furthering the kingdom. Uh, I, I, I want to continue this conversation with you, Alex. We do have more folks on the line, but if you can hang on a couple minutes, we'll, we'll, we'll continue because uh, your point is a very, very interesting point. Uh, and I want to pick up where, on some of the things Mark said when we come back right after this on Catholic Answers Live. Here's a question. Is it really possible to be friends with someone who died 2,000 years ago? Maybe the problem is that we've grown way too comfortable with the story of Jesus. Nice man, right? Taught us to love one another, said not to judge people. We celebrate his birthday every year. It's time to put away this small, safe version of Jesus, says Cy Kellett. Nobody that bland could have transformed the world. In a teacher of strange things, Cy presents Jesus Christ undiluted by sentiment, with all his radical words and deeds uncensored. Do you know someone, your son or daughter perhaps, or maybe your mom or dad, who needs the friendship of Jesus Christ? Do you? Order your copy of A Teacher of Strange Things by visiting shop.catholic.com today or asking for it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. Have you enrolled in the Catholic Answers School of Apologetics? Let me ask you a more important question. Do you believe as a Catholic that you have an obligation to share the Catholic faith? In fact, the Church has answered this question, and the answer is that all confirmed Catholics are obliged to share the faith. It's actually in canon law. Catholic Answers is here to help you fulfill that obligation. Our School of Apologetics courses will equip you to help all the people you come in contact with understand what the church teaches and why. A great place to start is with all the Catholics in your life. Learn the art of apologetics from the best of the best 
and start sharing the gospel today. Visit schoolofapologetics.com. That's schoolofapologetics.com. Did you know you can access Catholic Answers Live right from your phone or other mobile device? Download the Catholic Answers Live app today. The Catholic Answers Live app, available now on iOS and Android. Coming up Monday on More to Life, the life you were meant to live. We'll look at how the theology of the body can help you live a more abundant life. That's Monday on More to Life, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 Central on EWTN Radio. Uh, welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. Science fiction is everywhere now. It is, uh, it's probably the primary form of entertainment when you think about all oh, the Marvel movies and the, the DC movies and the Star Wars movies and all the TV shows. And, the, you know, there, I, someone was just telling me about another one that's on HBO now that I don't get HBO. I have a moral objection to HBO, but um, I, I, I might find a way to see this um, Something about a war in the future between atheists and, and believers uh, on HBO Max. Uh, but it's everywhere. Uh, books, uh, it, it, it is probably the primary form of entertainment uh, or an, an engagement uh, uh, in the world uh, today. So we're talking a little bit with uh, Mark Brumley, who is the president of Ignatius Press. Uh, which is located uh, just north of us here in the uh, Alpha Quadrant. And we're talking about science fiction and, and the Catholic faith. And Alex in Wisconsin uh, asked about the kingdom of God, building up the kingdom of God, and the role that technology plays in that. And, and Mark, I, I, it's it's so fascinating to hear you talk about this. Even the sacraments are affected by technology. I mean, and it, and there's a certain way in which the Christ coming in the fullness of time, he didn't come to an utterly undeveloped humanity. He came to a quite well-developed humanity, and technology was part of the spreading of the gospel right from the very, very beginning. Uh, but I just wanted to say something, Alex, and I'd be happy to take your take on this too, Mark, is that I am—and this is a belief. This is not uh, something that science can prove or that I, that I think I could prove philosophically, but I think that the highly developed technological society that we live in currently— is only possible because of the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ. That the incarnation of God in human history changes the terms of of how humans are able to function with one another. Uh, It changes our our basic beliefs. You know, Christ saying things like, know the truth and the truth will set you free, you know, And, and, and the fact that the incarnation uh, changes the way that we even think about the relationship between nature and the divine, and that it, it it frees us in a certain way to investigate nature in the way that no other people had. And when we th- when you think about Roman society, well, why did Roman society never advance to beyond what it advanced as? It's not that different from the Egyptian society of five thousand years before it. I mean, it's somewhat different, but not that different. And I do think there is a cap on on. Uh, technological development in pagan societies. I really, truly believe that. But that's just a belief. Um, so I want to throw that out there, Alex, that I think that the kingdom of God brings about a change in humanity that makes a highly complex technological society possible. Uh, and then uh, and then you can consider Mark's points as well, but did, did we address what you were getting at? Yeah, 
absolutely. And I agree with your point. I think that the salvation and love, well, like kind of fullness of love that Jesus brought to the world is what makes more complex society possible. And I often think about that when I'm watching all my favorite sci-fi. Yeah. I, th- I think there's a, a limit on what what philosophy can understand absent uh, the revelation of God in Christ. I think there's a, because of that limit, there's a limit on what science can do absent that revelation. But uh, you don't have to, you don't necessarily agree with that, do you, Mark? I mean, I don't know if you do or not, but uh, yeah, I, I, sure. I think um, what what comes to mind is you know Carl Sagan, a writer I read a lot when I was a young man and deeply appreciated, but he was agnostic, and so we had a difference of worldviews in many respects. But in his series Cosmos, which was a science series on television, it was one of the episodes he talks about the ancient Greeks. I think it's where he's talking about the origins of science. He's talking about the ancient Greeks and how early on the pre-Socratics, that is the philosophers before Socrates in ancient Greece, focused on nature, and they were sort of uh, moving in the direction of the development or the emergence of science because of their focus on nature and causes and uh, basic elements and things of that sort. And then there was the Socratic revolution where Socrates and his disciple Plato uh, focused really on human affairs, politics, ethics, and things of that sort. So the shift in philosophy went from a nature-centric emphasis to a human-centric emphasis. And, and Sagan, if I'm remembering correctly, speculated, well, what if that hadn't happened? What if, the, what if the focus had remained on trying to understand nature and so on? Well, we might be a thousand years more advanced than we are technologically or something like that. Well, there's a lot you could say about that. Of course, it's possible. And thing one to say about it is uh, it overlooks the fact that Greek philosophers continue to talk about the natural world. Right. Aristotle was a, was a scientist. He, he, he talked about the natural world. He didn't wholly uh, transform philosophy into a human-centered uh, endeavor. But even apart from that, I think we could ask the question, well, would we even be here if you know, the, the basic moral principles that uh, someone like Socrates and his student Plato and Aristotle developed Aristotle's ethics. Further, if the moral revolution, just speaking now on a human level, not talking about grace yet, but just looking at the Christian religion uh, from a human vantage point, the moral transformation that Christianity brought into the world didn't always live up to our ideals, but if you look at the ideals and the principles that Every human being is made in the image and likeness of God and has an inherent destiny called to be united with God. That was very culturally transformative in the ancient Roman world. And after the so-called fall of Rome um, in the Middle Ages and, and, and well into the Renaissance and the early modern period. And in fact, we talk about, sometimes we interpret the Enlightenment, so-called Enlightenment, as it being at odds with Christianity and hostile to Christianity. And there's there's a facet of it where that's true, but at the same time, the Enlightenment drew on fundamental, fundamentally Christian ideas about rights and personhood, and so on. So just on the level of ideas, ancient Greek philosophy emphasizing uh, natural law and, and our natural ethics, 
and things of that sort. And Christian values also emphasizing the dimension of natural law, but, but the moral dimension and the dignity of the human person allowed for humans to be here so that they could develop technology and, and do all the things that we're talking about. And then I, I agree with you, and we were talking a little bit about this during the break. I, I, there's, there's a view of human history that says that through the incarnation and the passion, death, and resurrection of Christ and the sending of the Holy Spirit, there's been a, a sort of spiritual binding or limiting of the diabolical in the world. Not that we don't see grave evils, but can you imagine what uh, the world would have been like if the Romans— and other, you know, ancient societies had had nuclear weapons. Yeah, I mean, they right. did a pretty good job of butchering themselves and other people with the very primitive weapons and technology they had at that time. Imagine if they'd had uh, nuclear weapons or if they'd had even, even our modern non-nuclear military t technology. Well, human race wouldn't exist. And so there's a way of thinking about evil. It's still evil in the world, grave evils. We look at something like the Holocaust, and we say that's a horrible, terrible thing. It shows the manifestation of evil in the modern world and the diabolical extent to which it still exists. But even so, we can imagine a far greater, far more wicked and depraved uh, exercise of, of evil in the world through the use of technology. And I think the fact that we don't see that is tied to the operation of grace in the world, as well as these ideas and values, uh, again, looked at from a human vantage point, that gave moral stability and political st stability to society and so on. So I think all this is bound up with Alex's question about the role the of the kingdom, kingdom of God, God yeah. uh, as being a leaven in the world. It, and that's it. Beautifully said. Eleven in the world, and that, and one of the things that I think it has in, provided eleven for is scientific and technological advancement as well, which is I think is also as testified by the fact that, you know, Europe, which is uh, not a very impressive place in in the year, you know, one. <laughs> is uh, dominating the world uh, after the rise of uh, Christianity in many ways. I'm not saying it's good that Europe dominated the world. I don't think domination is what Christ is calling us to, but but those means came about in a Christian society. Uh, Alex, thanks for the call. I want to go to Sergio. I don't know where Sergio is, but we're glad you're here. Go ahead, Sergio, with your question. Well, more than a question, it's a comment. Um, I know you commented on, on not uh, believing that extraterrestrials may exist, yeah. And I just wanted to make the point that I believe the Catholic Church has no official uh, uh, stance on the existence of extraterrestrials. Yes, I think you are also, right. Also, I yes. Also, I understand that uh, Pope Pius the tenth, I believe it was the tenth, on his deathbed, said that uh, that if extraterrestrials did exist, they would be an unfallen race. And and my final comment, and and then you can comment after that is. Um, I believe the word cloud is mentioned in the Bible like over 50 times, and it has to do with either coming or going. So if you could comment on those things, I'll, cloud? I'll, I'll listen on the other side. The word cloud, did you say? Yes, yes, the word cloud. Like, yes. like when like, the Lord comes example, on a cloud? Yes, to when judge he the comes nations? also clouds, like when uh, Moses went up, to speak, uh, went, went up to Mount Sinai, and, and, and in many other times it, it, it mentions, uh, for example, also when, uh, when uh, the apostles went up with Jesus to, to, uh, in the Transfiguration, there was a cloud present. In other words, the, 
word cloud is present many times in, in, in the Bible. Well, I'll just say what my understanding of that is the cloud in, in the, the, in the Jew, to the Jewish mind was used to, to represent very often uh, the the mystery of the divine presence. And so the, to the, I mean, and, and this also has to do with the, the, the kind of mountaintop understanding of that. But I, that's my understanding. So that like when Jesus uh, says the Son of Man will come on a cloud uh, to judge the nations, that has to do with him identifying himself with divine power uh, in the Jewish kind of symbology. I don't know, Mark, did, did, what did you think about yes. that? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the idea that this cloud, later called the Shekinah cloud, the glory cloud uh, is a manifestation of the divine presence. So the uncreated, inexpressible God, when uh, human beings encounter God, he, he is expressed in a, in a finite way. He's infinite. And one of the dimensions of one of the ways in which his uh, presence is, is represented is in the form of a glory cloud. Or, yeah. uh, so yeah. uh, I think that's, that's what's going on. I, I don't know, know that that has any connection to extraterrestrials, except I will say this. There, obviously, in the Bible, the Bible talks about angelic beings, and angels are not aliens. Or they are extraterrestrial in, in a certain sense, but they're not extraterrestrials in the conventional sense of Because uh, they're spiritual, not material. Yeah, they're spiritual, not material. Uh, but it's interesting that there is in the Scripture, you know, there's the uncreated, infinite God. He's personal, um, not a thing, but a person, subject of knowing and willing, as we use the term person, okay. And there, there's a material creation, and there, there's innate or inert material creation, and there's living material creation. Very simple forms of life, plant life and animal life, and there's human life, which is both animal but also rational and has a spiritual dimension. And then according to uh, Christian revelation and Jewish revelation for that matter, there's also angels who are pure spirits, but they're finite. They're created, limited beings. And they stand in a, if you talk about a hierarchy of being, they stand in a kind of middle space. Now, it's not really middle because between the highest angel and God, there's an infinite difference. Uh, but nevertheless, we can conceive of human beings as beings of matter and spirit and, and angels being pure spirit and God being infinite spirit. So the idea that there is a, there is a, a hierarchy or levels of being, um, you know, it's interesting. It has some bearing on the possibility, not that, not that we have any, not that we can go from that hierarchy of being to any kind of confidence about extraterrestrial biological entities, but uh, you know, it, it certainly is not inconceivable that we could have beings within our level of being, and you know, animals, but nevertheless spiritual, who are um, at a different level perhaps than we are. The question is, how would we look at them? Would we look at them uh, as aliens and, and radically different from us, or would we see them on a continuum with us? And there have been a number of science fiction stories that look at this. I mentioned C.S. Lewis's space trilogy earlier. He has beings on Mars. He has angelic beings in his stories, but he also has biological beings that are intelligent, uh, that live on Mars. Um, and um, 
and they are on a spectrum with us. In some ways, they're more intelligent and uh, than we are, but and they're certainly more virtuous than we are. But they're on on a, on a spectrum with us. Other science fiction writers have speculated about that. You know, in fact, um, uh, I can't think of the, the the Jesuit brother, brother guy Kasim. What I probably pronounce his last name, but he's the head of the Vatican Observatory. He wrote a book. Would you baptize an alien? Yeah. And and the idea there being that aliens would be biological beings of intellect and and freedom. Should we consider them as beings that could be part of the new covenant in Jesus Christ or not? And of course, that comes down to the question of whether they're fallen or unfallen. How we understand Jesus's redemption. In relation to them, uh, lots of questions that are raised by that. We may there may not be extraterrestrials, but science fiction. What science fiction enables us to do is to speculate and to think about the meaning of things that we know, the revelation we have in Scripture, and speculation can allow us to deepen our sense of awareness of of, of the truths of our faith uh, that we that. God has revealed and that we do know and affirm. Sergio, I'd, I'd like to continue that conversation. I really appreciate your points. We've got to take a quick break. As a matter of fact, I'm late for it, so we'll do that real quick, and we'll come back with more calls for Mark Brumley on Catholic faith and science fiction right after this on Catholic Answers Live. There's only one Catholic Answers Live. We have a big problem. Our culture is dying, and souls are in danger of being lost. The answer is conversion to Jesus Christ in His Church. St. Paul Street Evangelization is a Catholic organization, and we have hundreds of teams spreading the good news throughout the country. But we need your help. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Find out more and get involved today at StreetEvangelization.com. That's StreetEvangelization.com. You're doing a live program and you're thinking about what they're saying and, and what the audience is wanting you to say and all the stuff going on. Part of that is having this wonderful opportunity to hear these people. I'm quite sure I've heard over a thousand conversion stories. And when you hear this, you have this opportunity of asking the question, oh, like, Lord, what was it that opened this person's heart to you? What did you use? The Journey Home with Marcus Grodi, Monday night, 8 Eastern on EWTN Radio and Television. Welcome back, Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kellett, your host. We're talking about science fiction. Science fiction's taken over the world. Uh, it's everywhere, and uh, some, you know, sometimes in, in places where you uh, don't expect to find it. Uh, this very, very high-level literature that is science fiction these days. Uh, and there's also the, the old pulp stuff, uh, which I really like uh, myself. Mark Brumley is uh, the, of the literary sort. He's the president of a publishing house. He's the president of Ignatius Press, here to talk with us about all that. And more folks on the line want to talk about science fiction uh, and faith. You want to do that? I, I have, Yeah, let's do that. But I have to say, you know, we published a few science fiction oh, stories. Oh, yeah, tell us we about published. those, will you? Michael O'Brien's Voyage to Alpha Centauri. Right. And Michael O'Brien isn't usually a science fiction writer, but he, you know, thought he'd take a shot at it. And so he wrote Voyage to Alpha Centauri. And we just published a book, which is, you know, borderline science fiction fantasy uh, called Providence Blue. Oh, yeah. Which has as uh, some of its characters, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, who wrote more horror fantasy. But there's an element of 
kind of uh, science fiction-y kind of stuff there. And um, uh, Robert E. Howard, who, who was the inventor of Conan the Barbarian. And there's a kind of science fiction element to this story. So anyway, I mentioned that. We, we've done a little bit of that. Check out uh, Ignatius Press. Ignatius.com is where you can go find out all the stuff they've got. We're going down to uh, Tim in Sarasota, Florida, watching, uh, listening on EWTN Channel 130 on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Tim, uh, thanks for your patience. Go ahead with your comment or question for Mark Brumley. Sure. Uh, thank you, Cy. Um, my question is, at what point can a technology addiction become sinful and something that should go to confession? So oh, thanks a lot. Uh, Tim, I'm sorry. Could you repeat that? I was uh, checking Facebook while you were talking. So <laughs> No worries. <laughs> I'm can just kidding. Me now? No, no, I'm only oh, kidding was, because that, you I'm see sorry. what I was, I was saying is that, that would be sinful if it was uh, oh. interrupting normal human relationships, like not listening to other people, then that would be sinful. But Mark, I was just a little joke there, Tim. Mark, go ahead. Yeah, so we'll distinguish uh, something that's wrong in its in itself, and and then how culpable we are for it. And you know, as you become as normally, when you do something that's wrong or, or sinful, uh, and you, we we talk about being culpable when you know it's wrong, and you freely choose to do it. Um, the problem with sin is that you can do something repeatedly, and it can become an addiction or it become become a vice and your freedom is diminished and therefore your culpability may be diminished but whether your freedom is diminished or not you're still enslaved to a behavior uh, that is at odds with your purpose got your god-given purpose sometimes this comes up where people will talk about say pornograph pornography addictions or they talk about substance abuse addictions and and they rightly say that people can get to a place where they're where, where what they're doing the wrong thing that they're doing they're not no they're no longer culpable for because they've lost their the freedom due to the addiction well we can still be culpable especially if we're culpable for getting in the situation to begin with uh, and even in the situation there are varying degrees of freedom that we have and varying degrees of culpability therefore but in a certain sense, that's beside the point because you got the problem. You got to deal with the problem, and grace can help us do that. But we still have to deal with the problem in, in technology because it's super convenient and it, and it can overstimulate and hyperstimulate and all these kinds of things can be something that we develop an addiction to. And there's obviously you know a lot of science on this in terms of the. Uh, biochemical relationship between technologies and the, and the kind of highs we get in response to technological stimuli. Um, and it's a problem, and we're going to have to deal with it. I, many years ago, Father, Father Brungs was a Jesuit in St. Louis whom I knew who founded the Institute for the, for the Theological Encounter of Science and Technology, tried to warn Catholics back in the 80s, 70s and 80s, about the impact that technology was going to have on us in the future. And he talked about genetic engineering, he talked about um, computers, and he talked about uh, other kinds of technological modifications of human beings. And he said, this is going to be a big problem because human beings are going to become addicted. They're already addicted to at that time. They're already addicted to television. What's going to happen when you can create artificial environments you know, through media and things of that sort? Science fiction, Star Trek, holodeck, where you can, using holographic projections, 
create all kinds of fantasy worlds. What, in, in, in fact, interestingly enough, on Star Trek Next Generation, they had such a thing called hollow addiction, people who became addicted to the holodeck, uh, and that kind of thing. So these are real questions, and we can develop technology, but you know, people talk about the nuclear nuclear bombs. You know, has our technological ability uh, uh, surpassed our, our moral wisdom with respect to something like nuclear weapons? Well, you don't even have to go that far. You can just talk about the inf information age and the internet. Has our ability to create and use technology for communication in the information age surpassed our our ability to use things virtuously? Well, we'll see. Ah, so that was a good definition. So when it surpasses our ability to use it virtuously, then we're in danger of sin. Yeah. And a lot of, of course, a lot of science fiction stories deal with these kinds of scenarios. Even um, Brave New World, Aldous Huxley, one of the early dystopian novels, deals with the, uh, the, the dangers of, of, first of all, artificial uh, creation of human life, but also drugs and a manipulation of human beings through through drugs and things of that sort. So there's a lot we can talk about in this area. Okay, Tim, does that make sense to you? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate you uh, participating in our conversation here, having a little fun on Friday, talking about science fiction and Catholic faith. I want to get uh, Teresa in Philadelphia on, uh, listening on Holy Spirit Radio. Teresa, you got to be quick, though. Uh, okay, so my question is, if aliens really do exist, wouldn't it be mentioned in the Bible? Oh, maybe, well, we might, maybe they're we might. fallen angels or something? Well, I think we, when we're talking about angels, we're, we're talking about aliens or extraterrestrials. We're not talking about angels. So angels are a different kind of being. Um, I think we have to be careful not to suppose the Bible tells us everything we need to know about the universe around us or the world around us. Uh, you know, there, there were in it, back in the, I think the sixth century, there was a minority opinion among a few Christian scholars. Most Christian scholars knew the earth was round, but there were a few who thought the earth was flat. And one of the arguments they made was, well, the Bible depicts the earth as flat. And if the earth were really round, surely the Bible would tell us that. Well, that's a misunderstanding of, of what the Bible's for. It's not to tell us how the heavens go, but how to go to heaven. <laughs> I like that line, Mark. Uh, I, wish Teresa, I, could, I wish I could claim credit for creating it, but it goes back to Galileo. So. Uh, 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 Teresa, thanks uh, very, very much. Really appreciate that. Mark Brumley, it's always good when you're on. That's twice in one week we've had you on. That's a pretty good week. Well, I feel the same. It's always a good week when I talk to you. Twice in a week outstanding uh you can find out uh, you can use your technology box and find uh all that mark's uh, uh ignatius press puts out just go to ignatius.com uh tomorrow uh, uh, next week uh, oh really big week we got a lot of fun stuff so uh check back uh, with us then and we'll see you well in a couple days god willing right here catholic answers live